0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Sheila Zelensky show for this Wednesday edition. I'm so glad you could tune into the program. I've had my computer three times in the last two weeks back and back to the Apple store. Some of you know, I've been having some computer glitches, and it's going back tomorrow. So I managed to squeak in getting a show edited. And I'm really excited about this guest. He is a really very powerful testimony. And I'm very glad to have him on the program. Hey, before I do, I just want to let people know that the new Sheila.media website is going to be launching next week. We've done some tests today, everything is almost ready for the big unveiling. So I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the podcast, the downloads, much more user friendly. And I think you're really going to like the new layout. It's not just aesthetically really nice looking, but it's really very user friendly. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. And lastly, if you are not one of my patrons, become one today for just $25 a month. There are so many reasons to become one you keep in the loop on so much going on. There's just too many reasons to list not to become one you get great great exclusive content as well that the general public does not. Below you'll see in the description a direct link to my Patreon account or you can just throw in a search Sheila Zelinsky Patreon and you can support my work and I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I want to jump right into the program because we have a really great program today and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It is Ruben Palomares. He was the head of a rogue LAPD cop gang gone bad and he's going to tell you all about that story. It is my pleasure to have him on the program. Welcome, Ruben. It is a pleasure, sir.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, You did say my name right. You sound like you're Hispanic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I appreciate the opportunity for me to be able to share. It's uh, always an honor and a privilege because I know it's about the Lord Jesus and his awesome work, what he's done in my life and what he continues to do in my life. As you, you mentioned, I was a police officer for Los Angeles, what they call the Los Angeles Police Department I was assigned to Rampart Crash, which is a, a unit that deal with the nothing but the gang problems in LA. I started in 1993 as a police officer. I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in an area where there's a lot of violence, a lot of gangs. I was one of the kids that understood that gangs was not my the road I was going to take or the path. I wanted to do something good and, and I grew up around uh, A lot of my friends and family members were involved and were either victims or they became captive to drugs or gangs some of them got killed some of them went to prison and i learned through their mistakes that that's not what i wanted to do i was training i got into sports i got into boxing boxing was like my outlet it really helped me manage or deal with my anger problem i had i had a lot of anger i grew up in a home where i was uh, raised by a stepfather 10 brothers and sisters my stepfather was an alcoholic who had a lot of anger and and he was an angry bitter individual at that time he took out his anger and his frustration on me most of the time the violence the beatdowns and the letdowns, the put downs the cursing i i basically was the one that absorbed all that from him so that made me more of a violent violent individual angry individual but when I started the police department, I actually started with a good my, a goal in mind. I actually had a, a plan. I had a good plan to be a good police officer, to work with kids, be a mentor for the kids. Whatever I understood of the community, how to deal with it my way with a positive solution. But early on in my job, I got assigned to South Central Division, which is patrol in, in Watts, where you have a lot of Crips and Bloods and you have a lot of Hispanic gangs too, but most of the time you had a lot of wars with the Crips and Bloods up there Through the process uh, maybe six months into my, my career. I got invited by a specialized unit It's an undercover narcotics unit They called me and, and, and asked me if I was interested in taking a position to work as an undercover police officer Going back to high schools. They wanted me to go back to high school like a student Here I am 23 years old and they want me to go back to the 11th grade I lo- <laughs> Yeah, I looked young back then so To them, I I fit the mold, because I'm also Hispanic, I'm bilingual, that was going to help too, and I was going to get into the training. They were going to train me how to go back to school and be a student, but infiltrate basically the kids that are out there selling or using drugs. And then also they wanted me to see if I could be connected to the guys that were supplying them drugs because there was, there was a lot of high school kids that were selling drugs, not only using them, but selling big quantities of drugs. So they wanted me to find out who they're getting it from. That was my assignment. They trained me. They prepared me. I went back to high school as a student. In the process of, of getting involved, I started buying drugs from the kids. I got introduced to a guy going to sell me some PCP and... Um, he told me that he had like a little vial of PCP and he could sell it to me. So I told him if he can get it for me and we could arrange it for the next day so I could get the money because I didn't have the money that day. Because the undercover unit, your boss gives you the money when you're going to buy the drugs. So I give him my page number and arrange it so that I could set up to buy the next day. So that night I get a page from him and it's 1994 by this time. He pages me on my pages so I call him on the pay form to arrange the drug deal for the next day. While I'm on the pay for making the, the arrangements, I get approached by two older gang members, and one of them puts a gun to my stomach, start demanding my money, my wallet, telling me they're gonna kill me if I don't give my wallet. I'm being robbed at the time, so I got caught off guard. I'm an undercover cop. I I don't want to expose that identity. I don't want to identify myself as a cop. The guy already has a gun on me. He's got to jump on me. So in my mind, I'm thinking I have to distract him and I have to figure out a way to get out of this situation without getting killed. But at the same time, I didn't want him to find my wallet. But that's where I had my police badge and my police ID. And I had my 9mm Beretta in my rear waistband. Two guys, one to my left, one, one in front of me with the gun. And the guy to my life is trying to re- go through my pockets. I tried to distract him by giving him my keys to my car. I told him, take my car, here's my keys. I also got my money out of my front pockets. I gave him my money, I told him, here's my money. But the guy with the gun, as he was jabbing into my stomach, he kept insisting to give up my wallet or he was going to kill me. You know, I I kept trying to distract him. I kept saying, I don't have a wallet. I kept trying to keep him distracted so he could finally get tired of it and and just leave. Because I didn't want the other guy to find my wallet as he's trying to reach through my my pockets. At one point, I realized that this guy's hard-headed. He's not listening. (laughs) He don't care. He wants my wallet. (laughs) I'm going to have to do something about it. So what I did is I ended up hitting the guy to my left for the back fist right in the face and the nose. With my right hand, I I dropped the phone and I reached for the guy's gun. And I I grabbed the, the barrel of the gun. I turned it around and turned it towards him. Him. The guy falls to the ground, so I fall to the ground with him. I still have the barrel pointed toward his face. At that time, I'm hoping he shoots himself in the head because I'm I remember I'm in survival mode now. I'm in, I'm in kill mode or get killed mode. I don't want to get killed. I'm not even my for my gun because at the same time, the guy that's to my left he starts kicking me. So my left hand is blocking his kicks. My right hand is trying to take the guy's gun away. As I'm doing that, the guy with the gun he's got both hands on on the grip area, so he pulls it away from me and stands over me. At this point, I could actually see the barrel, the bullet inside the barrel. That's how close it came to my face, to my head. My reaction was so fast that, I mean, I praise God for now, because back then, I I did not know the Lord. I wasn't a Christian, and I was about the world. I was about the violence. So as I react, I'm able to block the guy's kick to my left, and I throw him over me and use him as a shield for a split second. It gives me time to get up. As I stand up to reach for my weapon, the guy fires and hits me in my right leg. I turn around and I'm already by this time I'm cussing him out I'm drawing my weapon I'm starting to fire at him and he fires it hits my left leg now he's hit both of my legs and now I start chasing and firing away and as I'm shooting I'm firing I'm cussing at him I'm calling him every bad word in the book and I'm not even worried about my bullet wounds I'm more mad and upset that this guy hit me and my thing is I'm gonna kill this son of a biscuit I'm saying in my mind you know I'm saying all these bad words <laughs> now I'm not gonna say it but <laughs> back then I'm just letting it go and I'm just and I'm firing away I hit the guy as I'm hitting him. I'm not thinking about anything, but I got to stop this guy He's screaming running and, and I know I hit him, but if he doesn't fall so I'm, I'm more mad that he didn't fall from the bullets And I'm not like, really fuming and when they both turn a corner I stopped firing because by this time there's a restaurant and I see the windows in the restaurant I see the couple of my bullets hit the restaurant window mm-hmm. and I'm like, well I, I better stop because I'm not trying to hurt nobody innocent I, I knew I hit the guy so I ran back to the payphone I call one. I tell him I'm on, on, on duty officer undercover officer. I just got in a shootout and you know I had to give the location minutes later They show up my gun is still smoking the the hammers pulled back I'm, I'm still kind of waiting behind the tree hoping they come back in my mind I'm thinking they better come back because I want to finish them off I'm uh, you know I'm very twisted back then they don't come back I guess they took the guy to the hospital because I had shot the guy and he went to the hospital and that's where they got Arrested while the department shows up uh, ambulance shows up the police department shows up and they come and treat me They get my gun They start checking my bullet wounds. They they end up cutting my pants. And and, uh, in the beginning, I'm still fired up. My adrenaline kicked in so strong that I didn't feel no pain yet. And I got two bullet wounds that went through and through a lot of muscle, my thighs, my upper thighs. So my hit, my legs got hit. The the blessing of the bullet wounds is that they didn't hit bone. They didn't hit my femur artery. Uh, They came close to all that. But it's I, I believe now, of course, knowing and understanding who God is now. It was God's grace because they could have they could have shot me in my upper body, could have shot me in the head, and I praise God that it was the way it was because those wounds healed. They throw me into the ambulance, and then now I'm I'm uh, being treated, taken to the hospital. They treat me there. The one thing that I didn't understand was the invisible wounds that I was going to experience because that shootout, and that's what they call now. Now they have a name for it. they call it post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. But before that, this is the '90s. I'm dealing with nothing but my bosses are. Vietnam veterans who were been, been to Vietnam their sergeants who I'm working under none of them talk about that so none of them talk about it they, they, they came back from Vietnam broken and but but really strong and tough in a way that they were callous yeah so after the shootout i get awarded a police medal it's like uh the medal of valor they call it the police medal for the police department and i got that medal from that shootout because they ended up arresting the guys at the hospital where they were being treated and all three of them there was a driver all three of went went to prison there were parolees at large or wanted they were also doing their robbery doing robberies in the whole area they had a stolen car the driver actually had 357 magnum which i'm glad he didn't shoot me with that one it would blow my leg off mm. i got shot with a nine millimeter and uh i'm glad that was uh, through and through entering and exit one on both legs and i praise god for that one i still didn't understand what was going on inside my head though after the shootout because i was still and again going back to my ignorance i didn't know anything about the lord i didn't know anything about forgiveness I was angry. I wasn't grateful and thankful to God that I didn't get killed. I was more angry that I got shot and that I wanted to get payback. I wasn't satisfied with just making it. And um, when I went back to work, my bosses—they didn't. Nobody really uh, spoke to me and. and After and give me some type of uh, encouragement or or talk about what happens when you get to shootouts. and back then it was nothing like that they just wanted me to go back to work because they wanted me to go buy some more drugs from the from the high school students I started taking that personal I said you know what these people don't care about me this job this department I was only a rookie I only I didn't even have a year on the job yet when this happened to me instead of responding to it in a different way or understanding you know God's way of thinking and and, and, uh, going for help I, I, I had a lot of pride back then I had a lot of Anger and I was very really vindictive. I took things very personal. When that happened, I started holding resentment towards the police department. I started thinking, you know what, this job, these people, they don't care about me. I'm not, a, I'm not, a, they want to, they want to treat me like a number. I'm not a number. I'm a human, I'm a man I'm a person. And I didn't like that treatment because they sent me back to work in crutches as an undercover officer with some fresh bullet wounds. It actually worked because when I did go back to school, the kids started asking me what happened. I told them that I was uh, in one of the projects trying to buy some weed for me. Some guys robbed me and shot me up. And they're like, what? So they really ate that story up. And then they started saying, man, you should have came to us. We would have sold you some drugs. From that point on, everybody was selling me drugs. I finished that unit. And I left. I went and uh, got assigned to Rampart Division. Rampart is a, a spot. It's west of downtown LA, and it's a eight mile city, but it's very overpopulated with a lot of strong, active, violent gangs. Uh, MS 13 18th Street. You got Diamond Street. You got Temple Street. You have a lot of a lot of gangs. During that time, they were at war with each other. A lot of them were. I got sent to that division, and in a matter of time, I was recruited by the gang unit, the specialized gang unit that deals with the gang problems, and I got assigned to MS-13. My job was to deal with MS-13 basically... And that's where they, they 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 started there. They came from El Salvador, but they they became what they are now, gang members in that city right there. That's where they basically were were formed because when they came from El Salvador, they weren't gang members yet. Back in the 80s, the main one that started was the Salvadorans, and and that's where it comes themselves Mara Salvatrucha. Because of their descent where they come from from El Salvador, but they'll start recruiting people from the countries But they're ruthless, they're violent, they rob, rape, extort, kill. They do a lot of Vicious things. My job was to stop them to deal with them and move clean up the street from from them And that was what I was assigned to do as a as a gang cop. No Christ no in my life and liking the adrenaline liking the violence That was like a a free ticket to do a lot of damage and um, a lot of power and and, um, thinking, you know, I'm going to justify myself because the unit I worked with, we all ended up justifying our behavior, our actions to deal with the major gang problems at all costs. I got real comfortable. I got real good at doing stuff that was not normal, wasn't by the book. And he would fabricate reports, plant evidence. It just was a wild, wild thing. But we thought, you know what, the victims want our help, need our help. They're crying, they're scared to file reports because their life is in danger. I'd say, well, let's just deal with it the way we know how, and we're still going to get the job done and the victims will be safe. And that's what happens when you don't have God in your life. You think like that because you don't think there is a God, you don't know that there's a God that can actually take care of business He doesn't need help. We can talk to him, pray, and he'll move and perform big miracles. But when you're unaware of that, you're going to go do things whatever uh, way you think you you think is right. And and a lot of it is wrong. A lot of it is, is evil. You're opening doors to a lot of different stuff. Curses, negative consequences. In the course of time, as I start, I'm still working the unit, I get assigned to another specialized unit. They lend me out from the gang unit to another unit that's a narcotics unit that buys, like the movie Training Day, basically. I don't know if you've seen that movie Training Day.
0: Yeah, but Denzel.
1: Yeah, well, I worked a unit that was similar to that that movie, and here I am doing the same thing, buying drugs, uh, collecting information from informants. I have gang members working for me. I have so many different people giving me informant, uh, intel because uh, everybody is just, uh, in, in that lifestyle, there's so much corruption, so much betrayal that the gang member will tell on their own partners just so they don't have to do time. And a lot of people don't understand it, or sometimes they don't want to believe it, or they want to like ignore like it doesn't exist but there's no loyalty i start getting some intel from these guys and through the process of time i got into another shootout and i ended up a guy with a shotgun ended up coming at me with a shotgun i ended up shooting him and he ends up dying and everything's looked at and and reviewed and it was a justifiable shooting but i started embracing that stuff i really enjoyed the violence it was like an adrenaline. and like i became a a drug addict to to adrenaline and i didn't know that this was just accumulated accumulated stuff of my ptsd and unresolved issues and and, and stored anger bitterness there's so many different things that i became like a a callous individual there was so much violence in that area that i saw a lot of a lot of dead bodies a lot of murders from gang members killing each other moms getting shot because of the kids being gang members and by accident they'll shoot the mother shoot a kid I got to see all that. So you start becoming real callous. You, that's how you manage. That's how you cope. So yeah. you don't become a wreck in the other way where you become like a, just a, a wreck where you, everything affects you. you you'll you be so beat up and jacked up emotionally, psychologically, that you be, basically, you, you shut down. And I shut down. I became real callous. And uh, in the 90s, like in 98, I believe, one of our partners from the gang unit basically got busted for selling some cocaine and he ended up exposing the whole gang unit. And he told on us and because of that, instead of calming down and saying, you know what, I got to let all this go and, and clean up, I got worse. I got more bitter, more angry and I said, you know what, forget this guy and forget this department. So I took it on my, upon myself to form a group of the cops that were angry at the department who wanted to make some quick cash. I started hearing from the different informants how much money the, the guys were making, the drug gang members were making for, for drug sales or extortions. They were making a million a month or whatever. And I started saying, you know what? These guys are making too much money. And here I am putting my life on the line. And I'm not making nothing. I'm not making enough. And and at the same time, I, I had just lost one of my partners. One of my cop partners got shot in the back of the head by a gang member. So I'm already fuming and bothered by all that. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to be nobody's victim. So I started getting involved with certain guys that were connected to certain people from the different cars. Cartels and I started collecting debt. I would steal the police cars put on my uniform go and either Go take the competition down take the drugs take the money and keep it or just basically Straight rob them rob them from my informant would call me tell me this guy just got about a ton of weed and I go rob them I'm a contractor basically whoever hired me. I go do the dirt if it was group cartel I just go do the dirt for them. I didn't care. It was free money for me easy money uh, free dope I stopped caring at that point. I didn't care if they betrayed each other, if there was their own best friend, if they wanted me to go uh, either rob or collect the debt. It, it just—I st- stopped caring. I didn't care no more. So it was the the betrayal amongst them. It was it was big and didn't matter to me anymore. And I was working for different different ones that were out there doing doing work. <laughs> it became easy easy money. I I, I enjoyed the rush. I was an adrenaline junkie. I was uh, on a suicide mission in a sense because I really was enjoying the money but I didn't care what happened to me if I got killed if, if I got into a shootout with somebody I thought to myself as, as long as I could take a few with me I don't mind I, as long as I could take as many as I can to hell I'm gonna take as many as I can that was my mentality back then I had I had no idea of God's grace I didn't even know about the the, the, the gospel I never heard about the the, the message of salvation I had no idea basically some of my partners that were working for the department too they were having some issues with the department Department. I said hey guys, I'm collecting some debts for some some individuals with a lot of money if you guys want to be in it's gonna be fast easy cash and Most of the guys they joined they didn't hesitate to say okay. I want I want in I just told them to get busted <laughs> We're gonna go do some time or I mean we, we could get killed they help you guys are ready for all that and they were but then I started getting the other other people involved kind of my friends and certain cousins that I thought I could trust and through the process of us doing so much of this this work, one of my cousins and his friends started getting connected with the with the wrong people. Colombian cartel guys, that's what they thought they were. They were in San Diego, they were, they were going to buy some cocaine off them. And they asked me if I wanted to meet their connection because the guy wanted somebody to collect the debt for him. I really didn't want to deal with these guys. I didn't really feel comfortable with them, but I got convinced due to my pride. I ended up going to meet the Colombians. My cousin and his friend was supposed to buy 10 keys of cocaine from them. And I was just going to meet the guy and I was going to leave. Well, it was a DEA uh, sting operation. And uh, my cousin and the three other friends that got taken down with him got me taken down the same day. My cousin and his friends, instead of basically taking responsibility for the 10 kilos and what they got in trouble for, they started telling on me on what I was doing with my partners. They ratted me out. They exposed me. So from being a 10 kilo cocaine uh, conspiracy, they... They didn't care about that. The, the the prosecutor did not care about that anymore. They cared about all the big sharks. Here they have a, a unit of rogue cops. Let's bust these dirty cops. So they stopped caring about those 10 kilos. Now they want to bust me and my partners. So my cousin and I, his friends started telling on every one of us. And it became like a domino effect from them they got more people to tell, and that's how this this big conspiracy opened up on our case, and that's how I was exposed. But at, at the same time, that's how God rescued me, so i'm I'm great for that because i was I was out of control. I started really I was doing some very out of control stuff, and I was expecting to do worse. and I know that now I see God's grace, God's perfect timing to stop me before I was gonna plunge down to the to the to hell and never get out. <laughs>
0: Well, let's face it, you are dealing with some unsavory criminals and ruthless killers. Was there any part of you that just really was worried about that? I mean, does a person just live in constant fear or what's that like?
1: The thing about it is that stuff was normal for me. It was no big deal. It's like I seen violence myself. I was a violent individual. I was comfortable and confident with my training, but I was also confident in my being a dirty cop. like. I was just so corrupted that I wasn't afraid of any of them. I wasn't afraid to kill or get killed. That was the the twisted part of that was I was so demonized that I wasn't afraid to kill somebody. I wasn't afraid to get killed. I just thought to myself that if they try to take me out, uh, they're going to lose a lot of people. In my mind, I used to tell them what I would tell the MSs when I deal with them because uh, as a gang cop, I'd have to deal with them all the time. You have to understand that being a gang cop in that area, they have to respect you. They have to respect you and fear you. I mean, they could hate you all they want, but you have to be the one that's running the streets and not them. So there's a certain way that you have to do things that allows them to be intimidated by you, they they knew that we were ruthless, they knew that we were a ruthless unit and we didn't play games, we were aware of their game, we were aware of what they did but we we expressed to them that we don't care, we're we're, we're above you guys, we're gonna do more than you guys think we'll get away with it, we, we were out of control, it was a ruthless war back and forth because you're dealing with individuals that, yeah, don't care, don't care about another human being but in, in this case, they're dealing with the unit that was worse than them. Well, in 2001, when, when I did get arrested, finally, I, I had already been doing this for two years. So I was I was getting involved with a lot of stuff, a lot of people. It became a business in a sense. I was dealing with a lot of different... I started dealing with the different drug dealers, too, out there, gang members, in a sense, where they became like business partners. I'd, I'd put them to work. I'd do some things. They wanted money. I was making money. So to me, it was more like a business thing. You start getting so caught up in this mentality that you really think that you're unstoppable you really think that you you're running something and nobody's gonna stop you not realizing just how powerful and awesome God is you don't know that I didn't know that there was such an awesome God I didn't realize just how awesome and and powerful God is but also how good he is but also how much he can stop you when he wants to I really thought I was my own God I really thought I ran things and it's just an w- amazing thing when you think you have your own plans when you make when you think you have plans and you think your plans are going to succeed god is god and he's going to be the one that's going to stop your plans for for your own good and he's going to show you that his way he's got a better plan for you but sometimes you got to pay sometimes you got to go through some tough journeys, some tough wildernesses to to understand that and, and know what God has for you i got arrested in 2001 and i went i went twice they put me in a shoe which is um you're by yourself in a single cell locked down pretty much locked down 23 to 24 hours a day it's rare if you go out um in certain places they'll, they'll keep you in, in there and you shower once or twice a week only i showed up I, They put me in this in the cell and I'm really angry, I'm bitter, I'm, I'm, I'm really upset, bothered by everybody because I feel super betrayed by the people that I already knew betrayed me. The first four guys that I got arrested with, they all betrayed me the same day. So I'm already aware that they're telling on me, but uh, I don't know how far they're going, how much the, how much are they exposing. But I'm already in my seat in the cell and my mind is just spinning. My, my mind is just like going on different trips because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what are they going to tell on? What are they going to say? How much are they going to expose? And I'm, not, I'm thinking to myself, I'm probably not gonna get out of here anymore. <laughs> I'm just thinking all kinds of stuff. And I'm also getting mad, I'm getting bitter. There's, I'm already bitter, so I'm getting more more mad and thinking about revenge, thinking about doing something to everybody. Um, it's just an ongoing torment in my head. And I'm locked down in a single cell by myself. I have nobody to talk to. And I don't pray, I don't know about prayer yet. I don't know anything about really understanding who God is. And then all of, a, all of a sudden in my cell door they put a sign that says uh, the, the police officers well uh, the correction officers put a sign in my door that says do not wreck or bunk with anybody so i'm supposed to stay in my cell by myself and i don't know how long i'm gonna be in there and when you're learning and you don't understand what's going on you start stressing out you start freaking out too you could be getting anxiety you could start getting mad i mean so much emotions just start coming up and to me it's like you have no control a lot of stuff so you, you have to learn to just relax you calm down or you're gonna you're gonna lose it in there and um, all of a sudden they put a a, in, a cellmate in my cell this guy happened to be once upon a time via uh, in both the house angels and he's now a Christian we start talking we just I, I've been in there for a while so I'm already like not talking to nobody he shows up I become a blabbermouth I'm just talking about certain things like my my when I'm going through my anger and and uh, I don't care. I'm gonna I mean, I'm gonna go to hell who cares and he starts sharing the Bible with me the gospel and also God's forgiveness and, and I don't have to go to hell and how God can forgive me if I just if I repent He just starts preaching to me and you know what that was God using this person because this was a miracle Because my door myself said don't keep don't put nobody in there This guy's able to stay there five days and he preached the gospel to me and I ended up giving my life to the Lord and then five days later, they end up kicking the guy out, moving him to another cell because they finally figure out that he's in there. They recognize that he, or they notice him. But it was, I, I understand, I really believe it was another big miracle from God. That's where God started his work in me. So I'm in this cell another two months and then I get placed in general population and I start kind of fellowshipping with a couple Christians through the process, I start fellowshipping with more, and then I, I end up getting uh, prayed for by a pastor from a, from a, a non-denominational, spirit-filled church. Prays for me, lays hands on me. I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I start praying in tongues. I start experiencing God's presence so powerfully during those times. I am amazing. I just felt like a little kid. Like something happened to me. Something supernatural happened to me, and I I felt free. I didn't have this burden. I didn't have this. I started forgiving people because I had a lot of hatred towards everybody. I didn't like nobody. I hated the whole wide world. And uh, I'm having this peace. I'm having this love. I'm having this supernatural feeling inside that I care. I'm starting to care about people. I, I really actually want to preach the gospel to people. And I'm still a baby in Christ one day like maybe a year into my relationship with god my year my year into the prison system i get a a book from derek prince "Thou Shalt cast out demons and i read the whole book and in the back there's a long prayer i didn't even know but i uh let me back up a little bit before this whole thing happened i was when i was working with the cartels some of the guys that worked for me used to go to the witchcraft to go read their, get their palms read their tarot cards and they would always bug me. They used to practice the Santa Muerte, different stuff that's for serving the enemy. I didn't really care about that stuff and I used to think to myself that there's a bunch of phony stuff and a bunch of lies. I said, I don't believe all that stuff. Well, they used to invite me and I was like, I don't want to go with your witch. Come on, let's go to my witch. Uh, one day, just to get him off my back, I went to one of their witches and the witch read the cards to me and showed me that I had a curse on me. A burial curse. And then also that I had uh, some stuff going on in my life that and, and keep in mind I didn't even know none of this stuff. And that I was going to get a surgery and it was going to work out and then I was going to go to jail. When you don't know any better, you don't realize that the enemy behind the scenes telling her this stuff and they're telling you this stuff. But I didn't even know I was going to get surgery. Well, I ignore her. I don't get him. I, I just leave her. I just leave and never go back. But. I ended up getting surgery on my shoulder, it didn't work out. I ended up going to jail for my my junk. So now, I come to find out later on that one of the witches that used to serve, work for the gang members in L.A. where I used to, would be a cop. She gave me a bunch of cards from St. Michael's, but she had cursed them. So now I I had kept that and this this witchcraft stuff, often when you're a cop and you're not a Christian, the enemy's working in different ways because the the gang members want to stop officers from doing their job, they want to hurt them as best they can, any way they can and, And they'll do that stuff if you're not covered by the blood of jesus you're not protected you don't understand your spiritual authority uh, the the enemy can get at you and and you're going to become a a victim of the enemy and, and of ignorance well now i'm in prison and i'm reading this book And I pray the prayer in the back, and I kid you not, I felt something leave my body—something intense, ugly. Felt I felt to leave my body. But I felt my first deliverance session. I was like, felt good. I felt light. (laughs) I got—what was that? I knew what it was, but I just got excited. I got pumped up, and I got so caught up into the spiritual warfare. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to cast out demons. I want to do this. (laughs) I want to do that. You know, I'm so pumped up. I'm still a baby Christian, but I'm still fighting. I'm still yelling and telling the enemy in the name of Jesus. Anyways, I I was there one more year in that place, and I got to preach, and I got to see revivals. I got to see people get healed and delivered. Well, I got sentenced in 2003 on my first indictment to 15 years, and then I still have my second indictment pending, so they moved me to a place called San Bernardino County Jail where I was... I was put away in a single cell which is the a shoe for five years in isolation with nothing but lifers from different gangs i was in a single cell like a, like in a dog pound and a single cell was only allowed to get out one hour a day just to to go shower but i wasn't allowed to go to the, the yard outside but maybe you'll put us out there by yourself in a in a cage in a, in a fence yard uh once or twice a week for an hour and a half so it was one of those moments where i had to learn to trust god i had to really i was already growing in my walk experiencing some powerful manifestations from the holy spirit and god was moving and changing my life because i did surrender and i wanted him to change me because i wanted to stop being the person i used to be um, Cause I was very, very, very violent, and I was quick to snap and and try to do something to people. And I didn't know how to forgive nobody. I, I wanted revenge all the time. I wanted to get even with everybody. And God had to free me from all that. And and while I was into those five years, God started dealing with me. He connected me with the right healing. Pastors uh, deep level healing pastors deliverance pastors. I got involved with the right ministries I got put in my path and uh, while I was there I was able to preach to a lot of people there that were lifers that weren't probably gonna ever be out unless God's uh, grace Intervened I got to preach to a lot of people in there and um, I was there for five years I got sentenced on my second indictment in 2008. I was already I was already in there seven years in prison I got sentenced to 13 more years, but I got my time got run concurrent And they gave me 18 years overall and from the 18 years I did 16 years I got moved from there I went to Arizona prison and I started my journey started with being out and about with a lot of people in the in the in the prison system where I had to learn how to deal with people and sit in prison as an ex-cop in prison Mm -hmm. as a Christian ex-cop that's where the battle starts because you could be an inmate and just be hooked up with your race. If you're Mexican, you're going to hang out the Mexicans. If you're a southern gang member, you're going to hang out the southern gang members. If you're white, you're going to go with the whites. If you're black, you're going with the blacks And prison. It's divided like that. But here comes an ex-cop who's Mexican who is now a christian and i only knew how to handle my myself with violence (laughs) so now now what am i gonna do i'm like oh my goodness lord this is not gonna be cool This is gonna be different for me i gotta and i gotta be real with people i'm not gonna lie and hide behind the bible and tell people i'm here for tax evasion or i'm here for being a drug dealer i gotta be real with people because if i want to preach the gospel in there because god wanted me to preach the gospel in there he's gonna have to give me give my enemies bring him at peace with me because the bible does say that he'll put your enemies at peace with you so i stood on that promise when i met the lord and started reading the bible i said lord i'm going to trust you for this promise right here that you're going to put my enemies at peace with me because i'm going to be in enemy grounds enemy lines uh dealing with the enemies that i once upon a time were my enemies when i was a cop and i want to preach to these guys and i'm not their enemy no more lord well they're not my enemies but i could still be their enemies but i said lord i want favor i need favor lord i'm going to tell them the truth so when i tell the truth if they tell me to check in and go to the hole they don't want me in the yard, I'll leave. I don't care. I'm not worried about that, I said. But I'd rather stay, Lord. If if you want me to preach right here, I want to be able to talk to you guys about you. And you know what? I kid you not. God... Gave me favor in every yard I landed because I went to Arizona, I went to Hurlong, I went to Mendota, California, I went to Texas, I went to Colorado, and wherever the Lord put me, I was able to preach the gospel, and wow. and I was always I was always real with people, and I got favor. God gave me favor with the with the with the crazies, the the tough guys, the the shot callers, and the different races. I felt you know I just I got to see God's grace and mercy in my life, but I also got to see myself. Someone who really was evangelizing and really looking out for these guys, caring for the for the broken down guys in prison. There's a lot of beat up, broken down human beings in there. That people don't see as human beings, and that humbled me to the point where I had to see him, I got to see them that way. Because once upon a time when I was a, a gang cop and I was working in the neighborhoods out there doing some some out of control dirt, I didn't see them like humans either. And here I am now in a place where I used to send people there before. Now I'm there. And now God is humbling me to show me a different a different way of seeing people. A loving God that's now teaching me to love people when, when once upon a time my heart was full of hatred empathy compassion understanding too i got to understand him instead of being a legalistic self-righteous individual perfectionist god started teaching me first of all he started dealing with me to show me just how beat up i was inside me and how much failures i used to how much time i failed and how many mistakes i made how much grace he was giving me to be patient with me to be understanding and and then to give me compassion in the moments of my struggles where i was battling because i had I had moments in prison where I thought I was going to have to kill somebody, not because I was an ex-cop, or it was more because of the different uh, prison politics, gang members trying to run something, trying to control people. They were going to get what they wanted from me, so I thought in my mind, I'm going to have to kill this individual. Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't really know how to really trust you in this situation, Lord. I'm sorry that I have to might take action. I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. I would battle with that. I would battle, and I would feel I would have to really trust and wait on God, and I would say, go talk to the person. And I say, well, I really don't want to talk to them. I want to beat them up. (laughs) But I would humble myself, and I'll talk to the shop callers from from the Aaron brothers from the different neighborhoods. and, And God would give me favor, and God would eventually give me an opportunity for me to preach to that person because I had to be so super real with with my character, with my anger still, my personality, I still have to be real with them, but I'll tell them, like, man, you and I don't get along and I can't stand the way the way you act because you still want to influence individuals to get them to do bad and when you could influence them to do good. So I have to just be real with them, but I still, I, I want to learn to love you. I want to learn to, I want, I'm trying to change, God's helping me and I want to see things different, do things different and you're pushing my buttons, but I want to get along with you. So just by being real with them, it would cause them to basically like me, I guess, and, and then be open to me and talk, talk to me, and then I was able to pray for the guys. It was powerful. I, I got to see a lot of powerful stuff in there. I got to see miracles in there that a lot of people would get to see because I was there as an ex cop, and I got to still be used by God to preach to Gang members, different guys from the cartels were in prison too, and I would preach to them. One of the guys, some some of the guys from the cartel were my cellmates, and I would preach to them, share the gospel with them. They respected me and they they liked me because they knew that I was about the Lord. But but at the same time, once upon a time, I was somebody v- very tough and violent and established. But here I am now serving God, and and they gave me my respect. They didn't. They knew I wasn't faking it. They knew I wasn't doing it because I'm afraid. They knew I I did it because I really genuinely loved the Lord and, and wanted to serve God, and I and she did, did care about people. They would have come to me in private to to pray for them. That moved. There, you know, there was challenges, there was a lot of challenges, but I, I, I didn't sweat the challenges because I always knew that God was bigger than my challenges. I always knew that God, uh, I knew that I could handle myself. I knew that I could take care of business if I wanted to, but the thing is, I didn't want to go backwards. I didn't want to use violence. I didn't want to do that. So I, I said, you know what, God's going to get me through this thing. God's bigger than the situation. I don't care if the guy's a giant. I don't care if I could take down the giant by myself. I don't want to. I want God to deal with the situation in a way that this guy will get to know the Lord. Not that I beat him up and I got a reputation of a killer. I don't want the reputation no more. I want a reputation of a Godly man. Um, There was a guy who was there for two murders and he was from a big gang in the Northern California area. He ended up murdering one of his old gang member friends who had left the gang and he ended up having to kill him The guy in his that wouldn't help him drive a car to do the drive-by to kill the guy didn't clean the car up So he ended up having to kill his best friend because he didn't do the job right So now he's in prison. They're looking at he's got 50 years to do. And I started doing Bible study with him. And I started sharing the word with him. I started talking about God. I started doing like prayer sessions with him for emotional healing. And we became like like friends. It was like a different, it's a weird thing because you're talking to killers. I had my other other guy who was another guy who was another guy for two murders and an attempt murder who got his brother killed in a gang. He was there for, for 50 years because of the murders. And he too as a Christian brother, we started doing fellowship and, and sharing the word. I started teaching these guys about God's uh, way of healing you from your traumas, from your emotional damages. Uh, one of them had been shot, so he was he had he had open heart surgery when he got shot. They had to pump his heart with their hand, the doctor. So now he's in the in the cell with me, neighbor neighbor to me in the cell, and he's always got he got PTSD. Any little noise he hears, he freaks out. And I started teaching him about how God heals. It was just. You know, that was giving me opportunities. I had a guy who was a they used to call him Turtle from Aaron Brother. He was there. He had been in prison like for thirty years, and he used to tell me how his mom used to throw food in the floor like a treat him like a dog when he was a little kid. So he was really traumatized and he had a lot of anger and hatred. But he was a shot caller for the state prisons and. We get into arguments on it, but I I go preach the gospel to him, and then he'll break down and he start crying, and I start praying with him and and doing Bible study with him. It was just an opportunity because I was in single cells, and all these men, I got to see the human side, the the broken, damaged human being that they were. Not the monster that people see them as. The no. broken kids that are still inside hasn't been healed. The damaged little boys have been abused and rejected and tormented all their life that never been healed. Here I am looking at that person now. Hearing their stories about when they were abused, when they were beat, when they were abandoned as little kids. Here they are grown men talking to me about the stuff that has caused them to become monsters. And God is opening my heart and my mind to see this and to feel compassion for them. And not see them with hatred and care about them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what is that like to be, you know, you're not in society for almost 17 years? What is that like, especially to get out? I mean, it's just, I know how fast things change in one year.
1: Well, they put me on the Greyhound bus from Colorado all the way to California. <laughs> that was an experience. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, no. No cell phone. I, I don't even know how to use a new cell phones. Uh, truthfully, when I went in in 2001, I was, I think, 31. I got out in 40. I was like 47 when I got home terrible feeling You know, you're in there, you know, you have to do your time and because of God and I'm gonna be honest because of God I had freedom inside my 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 heart my soul I was free because I knew that he had when he got a hold of me and revealed to me that he had a purpose and a plan for me I just took off on it. And while I was in prison I just said Lord get me ready and get me right. So when I get home, I'm free and I don't have to uh, deal with unresolved issues that could make me think or act in a certain manner that's not pleasing. I want to do things right. And, and through the process while I was in there, I was focusing my relationship with God to get in my, in my own wholeness. I wanted my wholeness, my transformation yeah. to be sanctified the right way, to be delivered, to be made whole, mostly psychologically in every area. Because... I knew I was a crazy individual without God I knew I had a lot of issues before I knew that I was a dangerous individual without God and I knew that if I didn't deal with all this stuff uh, it's easy for me to want to do something to somebody I got betrayed by a lot of people I got betrayed I got ripped off by a lot of people so in my mind I lost so much money back by people and in my mind I'm thinking I'm gonna come home empty-handed and but I trust God that God's gonna establish me he's gonna give me my ministry and I'll be serving him and these are gonna be awesome but while I was in there that's all I, I kept focusing on that I didn't want to think about the world out here because the more you think about what's going on out here the more you're tormenting your head yeah and there's there's no need to do that because you got to sit sit there and realize that you gotta have to do your time do it your way the way it's gonna benefit don't do it the way other people do it in there because a lot of people in there do it wasteful they, they, they drink they party they do some crazy stuff in there they gamble they don't think about their wholeness their life their future And because the enemy has them so bound and deceived that they don't understand that. So while I was in there, I'd get really mad and bothered, but say, you know what, Lord, when you get me home, one day I want to have a prison ministry. Because I could relate to these guys, but at the same time, I could show them that with you, all things are possible. So. I'd be pumped up and thinking now. Once once he gets me right, he gets me out here. I'm gonna watch him move. I'm gonna watch him make big things happen. And my other thing was, I was I knew that I was gonna preach to police officers too. That was my next goal because police officers hide inside their shell. They hide inside their own little bubble of of fear of people, fear of, of people being uh, understanding what they go through. They don't they don't talk about nothing. And most of them self medicate with alcohol, with pills, with womenizing, people don't realize that the, the traumas of a police officer post-traumatic stress sort of a, of a cop is intense and it changes an officer you could start cool and awesome when you first started the job itself the situation that you deal with will change you because you don't have an outlet you don't have the true person you could talk to which is the lord to, to deal with your situation you have a, a professional that's actually connected to the lord so you're not going to get the right help if you're going to go to the wrong people you're going to go to your own your own solution which is not a real solution so I want to preach to them and, and God has already given me an opportunity to preach uh, I went to Vegas a few months back I'm going to say maybe 100 officers they've invited me on police corruption on ethics and on post-traumatic stress disorder then they invited me and not not too long ago in San Bernardino I spoke to like another 30 police officers and I did the same thing and then about three weeks ago I preached at a church in Rialto and there was a men's breakfast i'm guessing there's probably like 60 so men and there was like 20 of them or more or 20 uh, police officers for different agencies and it was a blessing because God gave me favor god god touches the hearts because i'm being real I'm, I'm putting myself out there if i wasn't a christian and i didn't have Christ my mind, why would i care about anybody else i already I'll be thinking about my, my failure. I'll be so angry and bitter towards what I did to myself and everybody else that I wouldn't have time for anybody. But because of what God's doing in my life, uh, he's put this passion in me to help others because I know that God has been taking me in baby steps to prep me up to be able to speak in big crowds. And he's been moving me like little baby steps into bigger crowds, bigger crowds. And I'm I'm, I'm really excited because... I want that fire of the Holy Spirit just to come out and I want people to hear just how powerful God is. So they could really want to surrender and really understand that He's the answer to everything that they're dealing with. Because I've already experienced a lot, I've already lived through a lot, I've been through a lot. I want to be able to help kids, not get caught up in the in the dope game, not get caught up in the gang stuff. I, and I want to help you just overall wherever God puts my path because the answer is Jesus. He He is the answer. Sticking to the Word of God, practicing the Word of God, and staying in your prayer closet. It's just, I, I go through my day just praying, you know, I love praying. That's what I did while I was in prison all those years. I pray about every little detail because I knew that I was. Uh, I'm such a knucklehead. Sometimes without him, <laughs> I try to figure things out myself, and that's when you make the mistake. And and I'm like, nope, I'm not going that way no more. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I shake my head at how we do things. Well, you know, it's amazing to me because you see these Mexican drug cartels and you see the different, you know, I watched a series on Pablo Escobar and all the ruthless drug cartel members, you know, this underground dark network of just the the butchering and the bloodshed. And, you know, it's one thing to see these shootouts and all this stuff on the big screen. But boy, I'll bet it's a whole other ballgame to live it. That's
1: what people don't understand. I lived it. I've been through it and a lot of things I try to tell people look There's no loyalty don't trust the same guy that's that's being your friend right now Is the same that's gonna betray you either put a bullet in your head or tell on you or rob or take your wife from you All that stuff don't don't believe them They don't care about you and, and it's a sad lifestyle because you think you could trust these individuals I got betrayed by a lot of people in my case too and these guys were close to me. Either they were my friends, or they were my family members. Turned their back on me in a way where I was just like overwhelmed with with uh, with shock, like amazement, like I I can't believe these guys told on me. And in my mind, I said, Whoa, that's humbling because I was when I was in the gang unit, we'd say we take everything to the to the grave. We're, we're supposed to be like in our mind, we're, we thought we were solid. Like you're not gonna break me. you are not gonna rat it took me two years to finally come clean on myself and plead guilty because i was being a stubborn individual and i was already a christian i was telling the lord lord why am i gonna come clean on myself you know there's there's no victims here and the conviction of the holy spirit came and i ended up coming clean on myself and i did take responsibility for my actions But it took me two years to finally really come clean the right way because i was playing games but that was because of pride and because of my nonsense. But God had to show me that my, my loyalty is to God. And my loyalty was to the, the... I did make that vow when I became a police officer. You, you do have to hold the law, and I didn't. So I said, I have to set an example now. If I'm a man of God, I have to show that you have to own up to your actions, your, your your craziness.
0: And change, and and being in a constant state of repentance.
1: Repentance is a constant, yes. And throughout the day, about everything that comes to your mind that God brings reminds you of, hey, Uh, you have to let that go too you have it lord i want to ask for your forgiveness for that too and i repent of it it's a constant moment because god's cleaning you up and transforming because he wants you to open up your full heart for his holy spirit to move and have his way with you
0: yeah absolutely well listen give out your information how folks can get in touch with you give out your email address if anybody has any questions or if anyone wants to get a hold of you do give out your information
1: My uh, email is palomares, P S -S -S, and then there's a r16 at gmail.com. And my mixed martial arts ministry, teaching kids how to diffuse, how to walk away, how to deal with bullies, anti-rape stuff. I'm also teaching people how to, it's called verbal judo, verbal communication, how to talk your way out of situations where you can also use it as a tool to bring people to Christ. And how to be meek how to not use the violence and, and not encourage the violence, but basically talk to someone that's, that's harassing you, bothering you in a way that you could bring them to Christ. It worked for me while I was in prison. God used those tools and, and I want to use them now. And that's one of my ministries and my post-traumatic stress disorder ministry to work with people who are really uh, damaged through different traumas, abuse, police officers, military, uh, every background. Uh, the Lord is your healer, and I'm grateful that God has healed me so I could share it to others and bring it to others. I do have a website coming soon, and once I do have that, I have, uh, I'll give it to Sheila so she can give it to you guys.
0: I will definitely do that when it's available. And I want to just thank you for really being very transparent and sharing your powerful testimony with the listeners. I'm really excited what God's doing in your ministry and where that's going to lead, because boy, I'll tell you, it's amazing what God is doing through your very powerful testimony that only you can do because of your life experiences. Really powerful. I'd love to have you back on another time. So, so looking forward to that.
1: you run the show. You tell me when.
0: (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Ruben. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Folks, you can get a hold of Ruben. The information is linked below. I've got a direct link on his name. You just click on it in the description below. You just click on it and you can email him, reach out to him, let him know you heard him on the program and keep him in your prayers because boy, God is really using him to minister to a group of people that a lot of us just cannot. And we really want to be keeping him in our prayers. He does powerful healing and, and deliverance and he's a very, very powerful man and God is really using him. So let's be really keeping him in our prayers. Listen, on Friday, my computer's in the shop tomorrow, but Friday, I have on Dr. Michael Lake, and then it just gets better from there next week. Well, Gary Wayne is joining me back. I had a landslide of people email me questions. So listen, if you have a question for Gary Wayne, fire me off an email. Very easy. WeekendVigilante at gmail.com. Just fire me off an email. Put Gary Wayne in the subject line. If you have any question for Gary Wayne, hopefully I'll read it on the program. So get me your questions because he's coming back on Monday for kind of a part two. If you haven't listened to the other show, it's there on YouTube. Amazing, amazing, brilliant man. Tuesday is really fun too. I've got a five-time world champion bullfighter coming on the program. Rob Smets is going to join me Tuesday. That is going to be a good show. Ron Cohen also joins me early next week. Erica Shepard does a show on dealing with Advanced Witchcraft. You're not going to want to miss that. We have just back to back amazing guests all month long. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast, folks. I love you guys. Good night and God bless.